Thanks for listening to The Leader. Please subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode and share us too with anyone you think will enjoy our news, commentary and analysis. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Boris Johnson's bringing forward a ban on petrol and diesel vehicles. And let's make this year the moment when we come together with the courage and the technological ambition to solve man-made climate change and to choose a cleaner and greener future for all our children and grandchildren. But he's also being accused of not getting climate change by a sacked former environment minister. Can the PM prove his green credentials? Also, this is a huge embarrassment for the Democratic Party and probably one of the worst things that could have happened. US correspondent David Gardner on the Democratic Party's debacle in Iowa. They're supposed to be choosing their presidential candidate was the winner, Donald Trump. And we were amazed by how well it went. We were very aware that uh, you know, there's a general election on, Brexit is happening. The Evening Standard's homeless fund has raised £900,000. Oliver Poole tells us where the money's going and what's happening next. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Boris Johnson says the world should follow the UK's climate change action. But a former minister says he can't be trusted. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is now up to us to put before the nations of the world what has to be done. We don't need to emphasize to them or to you that the longer we leave it and not doing things but going on talking about the problems, the worse it's going to get. And in the end, unless we do something, it becomes insoluble. At the Science Museum in London, Sir David Attenborough launched the plans for this year's UN Climate Change Conference with Italy's Prime Minister and Boris Johnson. Of course it's expensive, of course it's difficult, it will require thought, it will require thought and change and action. And there'll be people who say it's impossible and it can't be done. And my message to all of you this morning is that they are wrong. 
As part of the UK's commitment to action, the government's announced it's bringing forward a ban on new petrol, diesel and hybrid cars to 2035. But our editorial column is concerned that the ambitious environmental message could be undermined by the surprise sacking of a former minister. Boris Johnson is doubling down on going green. It's one of the big ways in which he's proving to be different to Donald Trump. And in the hurricanes and the bushfires and the melting of the ice caps and the acidification of the oceans, the evidence is now overwhelming. To embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. But the launch of plans for the COP26 climate conference, including the early ban on polluting cars, was overshadowed by a scrap over Mr Johnson's decision to sack a former environment minister, who was meant to be organising it. Claire O'Neill, a passionate supporter of action, has hit back. The Prime Minister doesn't really get climate change, she said this morning. By firing Mrs O'Neill, the Prime Minister has set himself a challenge. He needs to prove that this is more than getting rid of someone who criticised him. He has to make a success of COP26, and one of the things that will take is putting a senior figure at the head of climate change talks. But it's action now that will decide if the 2035 target on cars will be met. Our associate editor Julian Glover is here. Julian, is action on climate change really a priority for this government? It should be. It matters. Prime Minister says it's a priority. Today he was actually announcing the, the discussion before the conference, big events happening towards the end of the year. But he's just fired, or in fact Dominic Cummings, his, his assistant, rang up in person apparently to fire Claire Perry, Claire O'Neill as she now is, former Environment Minister, committed to tackling climate change. She says Prime Minister doesn't get it. She's furious about being sacked. Question is, has she gone because the government wants to step up its action? or because she was asking difficult questions. She says the latter up to the Prime Minister to prove he is taking it seriously. And that's what we say in the leader today in Evening Standard. What sort of difficult questions was Claire Perry asking? I think she wants a really big independent conference that's going to make a fuss to the government and to the world about change. That might not be quite how the government sees this conference. It will want an event where people come together and actually get action done. And so she's obviously now not involved. So that the row of her sacking is almost a, a secondary thing to the big questions of how are we going to tackle climate change? And today, Prime Minister did what Prime Ministers often do when they look ahead. They find a target several parliaments away, so they probably won't be in charge then. And they set a really big ambitious goal on it. Sounds like action. But of course, setting a goal is one thing. So he says in 2035, all cars on sale will have to be electric or at least non-fossil fuel so no diesel no petrol and no hybrid plug-in cars either i've got one of those that won't be on sale either um, they've got to be pure electric well it's in one way a long way off in another way it's only 15 years are we ready big question what's the government going to do now to make that possible yeah is that actually achievable is that one of those things that we've talked about before on this podcast that sounds like a great idea but in practical terms cannot happen the car industry is a global industry and so what Britain says is only really part of how the whole world goes, and the major car makers around the world are shifting to electric. They've been told to by governments, consumers, a bit less sure. Normally, industries do things because people want to buy the things. Actually, most people in Britain, give them a choice, seem to go and buy a big 
diesel SUV. They sell more SUVs, those sort of semi-four-wheel drive cars, than they do electric ones. So it's not consumer demand yet. It's government regulation. But the industry's shifting. People are getting out of making fossil fuel cars. A bit of a blow for Britain there. We're quite good at diesel engines. Uh, no, no, no future for those maybe in cars. Moving to electric. So that's what you're going to get. That's what they'll be putting on sale. The challenge is how do you charge them up? The answer, of course, is to plug them in at the moment. But the problem is that in cities, people don't park off-road mostly. I, I've got an off-road parking space with an electric charger and it works fine. But if you happen to be driving around Hackney trying to find somewhere to park and charge your car, you've got to go back and move it after half an hour when it's charged up fast. Maybe you can't use it all day. It's really quite difficult. So getting the infrastructure in place is a huge challenge and a big bill as well. I've heard of government meetings where they've added up the bill for putting in some charges and it's almost a billion quid. We make a fuss about HS2, but we've got to think of the cost of equipping our cars too. And finally, 33 billion quid a year or so comes from taxation on cars at the moment. That's road tax and petrol and diesel tax. If cars aren't using petrol or diesel, they won't be paying tax. So there'll be a political headache there. How do they fill the gap? And do we have road charging? So as well as making everyone have electric, drive around, plug everything in, we might get road charging too. I think it's a great idea, but the politics are absolute hell. But it could make a massive difference to a city like London, couldn't it? It could. I mean, the, the obvious thing people would say is we should drive less in London. And it's easy to say that if you're in your 30s and you cycle around the city centre. Most people in London do travel by car. It's a big city, 9 million people, lots of outer London, very car-based, bus network, pretty good, but not perfect. Not many tube stations in lots of the outer zones of London. And if there is a tube zone, tube station, it's aimed at getting you into central London, not across London. So people need cars. Families need cars. Electrifying all that is going to be very hard. Next. Well, it looks like it's going to be a long night, but I'm feeling good. <laughs> Joe Biden trying to keep spirits up in Iowa after a caucus voting disaster. We look at the debacle and the damage it's causing the Democrats. Donald Trump is pretty happy. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Iowa caucus is billed as one of the biggest events on the Democratic Party's White House campaign trail. It's the first indication of who they'll put forward to run for president. But the vote descended into shambles, with complaints over a new system being used, app technology possibly failing, and phone hotlines being jammed. Our US correspondent David Gardner has been watching events unfold. David, how bad is this? This is a huge embarrassment for the Democratic Party, and probably one of the worst things that could have happened. All the country and perhaps the world were watching and waiting to see who would get a massive bump from being the first winner of a state race in the nomination battle. Instead, all everybody's talking about is how the vote's been messed up. The Iowa Democratic Party aren't helped by leaving most of the public in the dark about really what's happened here. They say the app didn't malfunction. They say there was no intervention, no spying, no hacking. And yet you have people on the ground, officials on the ground, saying that, that they just couldn't get through on the app. The app was, was, was crashed on them. And they ended up trying to make phone calls, 
to try and call in the results uh, to block lines, lines that were kind of jammed because precinct captains all over the state uh, were desperately trying to call in their results. All in all, a bad night for the Democratic Party, uh, particularly in Iowa, uh, and I think the party will be looking in future at perhaps even transferring that first important vote to another state. It's certainly been talked about before, and after tonight, um, I think it's almost certain that that may well happen. David, why is Iowa considered to be so important? This particular Iowa caucus is considered important primarily, perhaps, because it's first. Uh, All the months of talking and the TV debates come down to this. It's the start of months of campaigning um, across the country. But not only that, there is the somewhat interesting and bizarre fact that four out of the last four candidates who actually went on to win the nomination were winners in Iowa. In fact, the last four out of four were predicted in Iowa and the last seven out of nine. Uh, There's no real explanation for it. Uh, Iowa is not representative of the rest of the country. It's 90% white for a start, Um, but it's an interesting fact nevertheless. Donald Trump seems very happy about this, David, and with his impeachment trial expected to end tomorrow with his acquittal, this has been a pretty good week for the president. It's been a particularly good week for Donald Trump. No doubt he would have enjoyed the shambles that turned out in Iowa. Uh, In fact, his campaign manager called it the sloppiest train wreck in history. We may well hear about more of that when uh, Mr Trump gives his State of the Union speech to a joint meeting of Congress in Washington. Tomorrow, it's very likely that he will be acquitted at his impeachment trial. The Senate has come down to a final vote and it will go along party lines almost certainly with the Republicans uh, using their majority to clear Mr Trump. That story was also covered in our morning news bulletins, available on smart speakers from 7am every weekday. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. Now. The Evening Standard's Homeless Fund was launched two months ago and is just coming to the end of its first phase, where we can reveal £900,000 has been raised. The man running it, Oliver Poole, is with me. And Oliver, you must be delighted at how the public's backing this campaign. We were amazed by how well it went. We were very aware that uh, there was a general election on, Brexit is happening, there were many things occurring, so we weren't quite sure what the response was going to be. But we have had the most overwhelming response from the public that we've had in years. I mean, it's the most money raised from the public for, I mean, at least five years. And uh, in total, in this first two-month period, with, with our partners, such as the Big Sleep Out and other things we did, we've raised a total of 900000 so far, which we are, we're amazed by and delighted and very grateful to everyone who donated. That's an incredible figure, and I think it shows just how important this campaign is and how much London is getting behind it. Well, the thing that was amazing and... Uh, I have to say, was quite emotional to read sometimes, was many of the people who donated wrote little messages as well, talking about how, uh, why they donated and what it meant to them. And we had everything from school children giving their pocket money, because it doesn't matter how much people give, it's anything is uh, incredibly appreciated by us and all our charitable partners. We had quite a lot, I, I mean, we had quite a lot of uh, uh, retired people who were quite well off retired people who were making a point of donating their um, fuel allowance 
They see, it seemed to be a kind of like an almost conscious thing that people were decided they were going to do. And uh, obviously, we also were very pleased because some kind of, you know, quite a lot of companies have come on board as well. And when we spoke to you last time, you said that one of the things that you felt was so important was to change attitudes. Do you feel, given this response, that's what's happening? Well, I think it's one of the reasons that this is not a short-term campaign and something we're planning to do over many years, two years is what we're planning, is I think that takes time. But I think one of the great things about what's happened so far and the amount of editorial content we've been able to throw at it is it's enabled us to focus on stories that might not normally get attention. Because obviously the most visible aspect of homelessness and what we all think about when we uh, talk about it is the reality of people actually sleeping on the streets. But what I've been so pleased about is the fact we've been able to tell stories about many different parts of that, about the homeless women who have nowhere to go, so spend their nights going round and round on a night bus, to the trans people who have basically been forced out of their homes by uh, unsympathetic parents. So I'm very pleased by the fact that we've been able to give quite a kind of range of stories so far. And I think as a start, I think it's gone well. And that's The Leader. Subscribe through your podcast provider and get in touch with us with the hashtag The Leader Podcast. We're back tomorrow at 4pm. Oh, 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 o